Hello and welcome back to Gimme the Creeps with Abby and Daniela. Hello, hello. So, I just want to say before we begin, I know that we like to have like spooky fun on this podcast and, um, you know, we, we like to give you the creeps and whatnot, but this time around, I finally decided to touch on the Martin Luther King assassination topic. However, I did not feel like it was right to not like set the stage politically and socially before we just jumped right into, uh, I guess, the juicier secret information that came out recently. I think like two or three years ago, they declassified the surveillance tapes that Hoover was taking on Martin Luther King Jr. So, um, right. Yeah. Oh yeah. So pay attention. So I guess I'm glad that we're doing it in two parts now that you mentioned that because um, before we do part two, if y'all want to watch, there are a few documentaries that I have listed that I have not finished myself. So I want to see what those are are all about. Um, Hulu has a MLK FBI documentary that came out, I think, a year ago or two years ago. And then there's a BBC special that won an Emmy. It's called Who Killed Martin Luther King. I believe that's on Amazon Prime. You can find it on YouTube. There are just a a few little things out there that a lot of people don't really realize pretty much state that um, Ray did not assassinate Martin Luther King. So now that that's out of the way, we know what this is going to kind of end up at. However, like I said, I felt the need to set the political and social stage of our country during the civil rights movement. So this is going to feel a lot like a history lesson, and I was going to do a lot of apologizing for that, but now I feel like I don't need to. And hey, I mean, some people have kids, they have homework, right? Let's. It's not a bad thing to brush up on some history. Yes. Just try not to fall asleep Just on me, Daniela. Put this episode on <laughs> and let them... Just brush up. Listen. Take notes, children. There you go. Um, I mean, I'm not going to go in depth either so it shouldn't be too boring and i'm not calling it boring because the actual notes and facts are not boring but i just mean some people do not like hearing about history so with that being said i'm gonna hit my rant really quick before we get started and then we can go but um so yeah as i was saying we usually cover like spooky creepy fun topics that are more like lighthearted, I guess you could say. But uh, there's another side of being scared that has a very serious consequence for some. Real life threats. Moving with this idea, the feeling of not trusting who is meant to protect you is another thing. Some may even add using taxpayer money and government time and equipment for the decline of humanity is upsetting. Threats to humanity and our pursuit of happiness were once so high in this country, but the light started to shine through. There was a hope for a new and equal country, undivided. That posed a problem for some. As much as I want to be a patriot to the country I was born in, I cannot without revealing certain truths a lot of us have already known, but our parents, grandparents, and older family and friends are starting to wonder. So this year, I'm going to be calling out certain groups and organizations I'm going to lift the veil on some of the darker parts of our history. We look up to these people like heroes we should be able to. Conspiracies teeter on ludicrous ideas that mean our own government is not 100% on our side 
and that upsets people. Then there are conspiracies that are so wild that we can't help but think that they are used to distract us from something serious. I had to look up the term deep state, which is a body of people, typically influential members of government agencies or the military, believed to be involved in the secret manipulation or control of government policy. Oh, that's what deep state means. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was like um, having to do with like fake news or like something like that with like alt-right or something. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a general term, <clears throat> which I did not know. So I had to look that up um, in case this tied in in any way. But uh, the media has always been used to brainwash us into supporting who they think are the winners, you know, the people, the rich, the elite, the politically powerful. So for instance, in Vietnam, our TVs were telling our families, you know, we're winning. It's great. The war efforts are going well. But then when our family members would come home, what they saw and what happened, it was totally different than what we saw on our screens. Yeah. So that is one major, major, um, I guess, example where if you asked a family member that was there, they would maybe agree with you, still supporting their military, you know, but they just have that experience. Right. Um, So military means money and the military industrial complex is real and very dangerous. It drives our economy. So guess what? If you don't support the war, you hate being an American. And I will try my best not to rant more than once. So that's why I just wanted to go ahead and get this over with at the front of this so that I don't make it about my opinions or, you know, things like that. This is uh, important stuff we're about to go over. So just wanted to get that part over with. So in this case, there are documents, witnesses, and most importantly, former government employees who are willing to share the truth. And I myself had have had conversations with older generations, and you know what? They feel betrayed and lied to. The support is questioned, and rightfully so. We can no longer deny that our organizations use us and the media to bend our trust against one another instead of asking questions. What breaks my heart the most is, without a doubt, if certain men or women were not killed, we would have a different world today. But that frightened our government, and where is our wealth without war? There's no war when there's peace. So without further ado, let's talk about Martin Luther King Jr. and what the FBI did. I wish I could clap. Oh, you're sweet. Thank you. Um, uh, I'll leave the documentary talk for the end of this because we aren't going to be touching on the shadier parts of this history until part two. And this is technically part one where I'll do my best to introduce the world stage and the... uh, the people that are kind of ramping up this civil rights movement. So I'll do my best not to sound like a book report, Mm -hmm. but uh, let's start it off with um, what's happening during this time frame. So the time frame is the 40s and the 50s and the 60s with the height of the civil rights movement occurring closer to like the 60s. This is a quick synopsis of Black history in America. I will hit key moments, but there is so much more. So bear that in mind as we go. After slavery ended, other methods of discrimination were utilized to keep Black Americans from voting, getting jobs, and buying property. But when it came to the war efforts, World War II, for instance, uh, Black Americans were working as farmers, factory workers, domestics, and by early 1940s, war-related work was booming, but excluded them from joining in on the action, even in the military at this time. 
So, after thousands threatened to march on Washington to demand equal employment rights, President Franklin D. Roosevelt issued Executive Order 8802 on June 25, 1941. Now, national defense jobs and government jobs were available to all, regardless of race, creed, color, or national origin. However, segregation was still very much in existence, and despite being allowed to fight in World War II, they were discriminated against while deployed. The Tuskegee... Airmen were the first black military aviators in the U.S. Army Corps. This was before the actual Air Force. They trained out of Alabama and flew more than 15,000 individual sorties. A sortie is an attack made by troops coming out from a position of defense. So it was a lot of like uh, air, aerial siege fighting, that kind of thing. And this was in Europe and North Africa during World War II. They earned more than 150 flying crosses and helped encourage integration of the U.S. Armed Forces. And yet, when these patriots of America returned home, they were met with prejudice. As the Cold War began, President Harry Truman initiated a civil rights agenda and in 1948 issued Executive Order 9981 to end discrimination in the military. These events helped set the stage for grassroots initiatives to enact racial equality legislation and incite the civil rights movement. On December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks was riding a city bus in Montgomery, Alabama after work. Usually the back seats were for black people and the front were for white. <clears throat> when there were no more seats, the driver asked her and three others to get up and give their seats. When she refused, she was promptly arrested. This caused an outrage in the community, rightfully so. However, what a lot of people don't know is there was another young lady who bravely sat in her seat on a bus in that same town. On March 2nd, 1955, so the same year as Rosa Parks, however earlier that year, Claudette Colvin refused to give up her seat on her way home from high school. At 15 years old, she bravely said no, but was quietly arrested without uproar. The Montgomery bus boycotts wouldn't begin until Rosa Parks did the same. Apparently, there were many brave women who refused to give up their seats, but they were fined and uh, life went on. Still, Rosa Parks is recalled as the mother of the civil rights movement. The Black community leaders formed the Montgomery Improvement Association led by Baptist minister Martin Luther King Jr. The bus boycott lasted for 381 days, and on November 14, 1956, the Supreme Court ruled segregated seating was unconstitutional. You don't say. This was a fight with some wins, though, and the movement continued forward. In 1954, Brown versus the Board of Education uh, ruled segregation in public schools as unconstitutional and illegal. And in 1957, Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, asked for volunteers from all black high schools to attend the formerly segregated school. On September 3rd, 1957, nine black students known as the Little Rock Nine arrived at Central High School to begin classes, but were instead met by the Arkansas National Guard on order of Governor Orville Faubus and a screaming, Sorry, threatening what was mob. His name? Orville Faubus. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so um, he had the National Guard out there and a screaming, threatening mob to greet the students. The Little Rock Nine tried again a couple of weeks later and made it inside, but had to be removed for their safety when violence ensued. I don't, that just blows my mind. That really, it really does, right? I mean, it's yes. it's going to school. I don't understand. Yes. But you know what? They White people were told that black people like had diseases and shit. 
Right. Have you seen The Help? Yes! Can you believe that shit about the damn toilets? Yes! I'm... I just... But you know what? The propaganda that the white mm-hmm. people were given about black people is what fueled right. that shit. Like, and it just... who's in school? Kids. Whose kids? Racist. So, yes. you know, that's where it's just... It's just heartbreaking. So, um, I'm with you, though. I mean, it's not like... I don't know. I don't know what it is. And I guess I'll go ahead and give the analogy here before we continue of it's like the American dream, right? Is at the end of a long foot race, but mm. all African-Americans, they get their shoes tied together yes. within meters that they get going. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's not, it's not fun. It's not cool. And it's just like, whenever we try to talk about white privilege and things like that, it's, it's made a mockery and it's, it's, it's what happened, you know? Yeah. So just all of these obstacles, just to go to school, just to ride the bus, to get to work, to buy property, to vote. Ridiculous. So also I I'll be jumping uh, back and forth. So the dates are going to be back and forth. Just hopefully it doesn't get too confusing. So President Dwight D. Eisenhower intervened and ordered federal troops to escort the students to and from classes, but they were still faced with harassment. This was important, bringing awareness to the issue and striking the conversation in all households about desegregation. Now, this is not going to be the first time I discuss the civil rights movement, nor is it the last time I will discuss assassinations covered up by our government. So I'm going to be leaving off at this point um, with the Civil Rights Act of 1957. It was the first major civil rights legislation since the Reconstruction, um, which was right after slavery was abolished. It allowed federal prosecution of anyone who tried to prevent someone from voting. It also created a commission to investigate voter fraud. At this point, we are directing our focus to real-time events in the country and pivoting to who Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is. Um, But we will touch back on certain events that pushed the civil rights movement to gain momentum. So in the year 1957, on January 12th, Southern Christian Leadership Council is founded with Martin Luther King as the leader at Ebenezer Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And then I'm just going to name a couple of things that happened that same year. Um, February 1st, Perry Henry Young is the first black pilot on a U.S. scheduled passenger airline. He had trained aviators in World War II, so he was part of the Tuskegee Airmen. And then February 13th, 1957, the SCLS, which is the Southern Christian Leadership Council, organizes a New Orleans uh, protest with Martin Luther King as the president. So while things like Larry King's first radio broadcast are happening and the first dog in space is happening, all the while mob activities are going on and so are nuclear atmospheric tests by the USSR. Overseas, there are conflicts brewing in places like Cuba, uh, Africa, and the UK has sought after nuclear power since World War II, but did so in the shadows. So when they tested the first hydrogen bomb, I'm sure that uh, we were all pretty shocked. But uh, they were careful considering the special relationship between the UK and the US at this time, which did not originally extend to nuclear, the nuclear sphere. Now back to the smaller scale battlefront on May 17, 1957, the prayer pilgrimage for freedom at Lincoln Memorial takes place. This was three years since the uh, Brown v. Board of Education took place. Yes, so this was three years since 
the Brown v. Board took place, but the, the integration was not happening how they had hoped. Over 15,000 gathered in Washington from 30 states on a mass prayer pilgrimage for freedom. Those present hoped to motivate the president and others in charge to integrate public education how they promised they would in that Supreme Court case. True equality was always the goal, and Martin Luther King Jr. was there delivering his Give Us the Ballot speech. He affirmed the ways in which voting rights were essential to the goal of integration and freedom and how important he believed it was to face without bitterness the work to be done. We must never struggle with falsehood, hate, or malice. We must never become bitter. I know how we feel sometimes. There is the anger, there is the danger that those of us who have been forced so long to stand amid the tragic midnight of oppression, those of us who have been trampled over, those of us who have been kicked out, kicked about, there is the danger that we will become bitter. But if we will become bitter and indulge in hate campaigns, the new order which is emerging will have will be nothing but a duplication of the old order. We must meet hate with love. Um, Life.com provided amazing photography from the historic day, and I recommend going over there to look at those powerful images for yourself. Now let's talk about the hero orator himself. So who was Martin Luther King Jr.? He was born on January 15, 1929 in Atlanta, Georgia, the second child to Martin King Sr. and Alberta Williams King. He had an older sister named Christine and a younger brother named Alfred Daniel Williams. And uh, his father was a pastor and his mother was a former school teacher. And his family grew up in the city's Sweet Auburn neighborhood when then home to some of the most prominent and prosperous African-Americans in the country. Young Michael, who would later change his name. Oh, did I introduce him as Martin or Michael? Oh, okay. Anyways, he was born Michael Luther King Jr., but he named himself after his dad later on, I guess. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That part I was a little bit iffy on, but he was born with Michael Luther King as his name, but then he became Martin Luther King Jr. So uh, he changed his name to his father's, and he was a talented student. His grandfather and father had gone to college at Morehouse, and he did the same when he was admitted to Morehouse College at just age 15. King studied medicine and law. However, Morehouse's president, Dr. Benjamin Mays, was a theologian and outspoken advocate for racial equality, inspiring King to change focuses. King joined the ministry, and after graduating in 1948, he entered Crozer, Crozer Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania. He earned his Bachelor's of Divinity degree and won a prestigious fellowship and was elected president of his predominantly white senior class. He enrolled in a graduate program at Boston University, completing his coursework in 1953. He earned his doctorate in systematic theology two years later. King met Coretta Scott in Boston. She was a singer from Alabama studying at the New England Conservatory of Music. Coretta Scott was born on April 27, 1927, in Haleburger, Alabama, to Abadiah Scott and Bernice McMurray Scott. Scott graduated valedictorian from Lincoln, Norm Lincoln Normal High School and went to Antioch College in Yellow Springs, Ohio in 1945. She earned a bachelor's in music and education before attending the Conservatory of Music in Boston, earning her Bachelor of Music in Music Education. All the while, she was an advocate for justice and peace. Her childhood and education created a goal for her to achieve great social change. Her experiences also showed the cruel world that was not yet equal. 
While in Yellow Springs, she was denied her request to student teach in their predominantly white classrooms, a requirement of her elementary education and music major. Incensed after college administrators refused to come to her defense, she joined the local NAACP before transferring to the New England Conservatory of Music. Martin and Coretta were actually set up and it was a blind date in January of 1952. Across town at the New England Conserv- across town at the New England Conservatory of Music in January of 1952 under cold wet midday skies and to be sure she wasn't singing, I waited for him on the steps outside the conservatory on the Huntington Avenue side, she wrote in her 1969 autobiography My Life with Martin Luther King Jr. The green car pulled up to the curb, and as I walked down the steps, I could see the young man sitting in the car. So that was from an article um, in in Boston. I sounded like I was from there, Boston, Boston Magazine. Um, And the article was written about their early relationship, and it's it's really sweet and it's cute. So y'all go check it out if you're interested in hearing the details. But um, people had come up with this myth that Martin Luther King saw her singing because she is a singer and that's how they met. But this, that's not really what happened. They were set up on a date and he came and picked her up. So actually there's a bit of drama before this point too, because Martin Luther King Jr. arrived in Boston heartbroken after schoolmates at Crozer Theological Seminary outside Philadelphia, where he had been studying, urged him to break up with his longtime girlfriend who was white. Oh, So before he met Coretta, he was dating this white girl, and they insisted that Atlanta's Ebenezer Baptist Church, where he was to to secede his father as pastor, would never accept Elizabeth Betty Moitz as its congregation's first lady. Heeding their advice, King headed to BU alone to earn his PhD. It wouldn't be his first exposure to New England. He spent the summers of 1944 at age 15, 1947 at 18, picking shade tobacco in Simsbury, Connecticut to help pay his way through Morehouse College. Boston Magazine has a wonderful article, like I said, um, detailing their early relationship and how their different financial backgrounds affected their individual experiences. I recommend finding it if you'd like to hear about their relationship. On June 18, 1953, they were married with Martin's father um, officiating, and the pair stayed in Atlanta, <clears throat> not relocating until September of 1954 to Montgomery, Alabama. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was appointed pastor at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. She took time raising their children, Yolanda, Denise, uh, Martin Luther III, Dexter Scott, and Bernice Albertine. Dexter and she balanced. Isn't that cute? I like that. Yeah. Um, Dexter Scott, sit down. Anyways, <laughs> she balanced being a mother with civil right with the civil rights movement. Somehow, she made it work, and she and Martin enjoyed each other's company. The King family uh, home would often serve as the center of activity for church and movement work. Mrs. King often participated in strategy meetings and provided feedback and encouragement to Dr. King as he prepared for his sermons and speeches. Concerned about freedom and justice around the world, in 1957, they journeyed to 
Ghana, West Africa to mark that country's independence, also visiting Nigeria, France, Italy, and the Vatican that same year. In 1958, they spent a belated honeymoon in Mexico where they observed firsthand the immense gulf between extreme wealth and extreme poverty. In 1959, Mrs. King went spent nearly a month in India with Dr. King on a pilgrimage to visit followers and sites associated with Mahatma Gandhi. In 1964, she traveled to Oslo, Norway to be with her husband as he accepted the Nobel Peace Prize. Really? She would, I don't think mm-hmm. I knew that he won the Nobel Peace Prize. And at the time, he was the youngest man to ever get the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> wow. But uh, I'll mention that again later. So uh, that kind of closes the chapter of her and him in this episode. But um, she would continue achieving social change beyond Martin Luther King's life. So back to Montgomery um, in 1954, it had been less than a year when they moved there um, when the highly segregated city became the epicenter of the struggle for civil rights. Brown v. Brown v. Oh my goodness. Brown v. Board. um, Remember, so that's why it's like the epicenter. So sorry for all the back and forth. I hope this is not too confusing to keep up with all the dates and the years. But um, forward to 1955, Rosa Parks is arrested in December, and she at this point is the secretary of the local chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or the NAACP. The boycott had lasted 381 days, and it put an economic strain on the public transit system and the downtown business owners. So people were willing to walk to their work and to their schools rather than give up their seats to whites. So you would see these groups of people just walking, and and it was just a sight to see. And I don't know if we would ever join ranks like that today. Do you think we would? No. Give up our conveniences like that? I'm sure there would be some young people that would do it, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think it would be like a large mass of people that would do it like that. Right. Um, and these people, they just, they had faith and they were right because it did cause an economic strain to the point where the buses were not, no longer segregated. So It's just like, how far are we willing to go for change? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Anyways, so props to them. So, um, and then that's, that's when the NAACP chose MLK to lead their, you know, protests that were going to be coming up and become the official spokesman for their group. And by the time the Supreme Court ruled segregated seating on public buses unconstitutional in November of 1956, King, heavily influenced by Mahatma Gandhi and the activist Bayard Rustin, had entered the national spotlight as an inspirational proponent of organized nonviolent resistance. And um, so up until this point, the news was mostly like Southern things were happening in Southern areas where things were still segregated. There was a lot of violent race racism and things like that. And it suddenly became a national movement where everyone is watching and everyone is motivated to end racism. Mm -hmm. And that's when the government started noticing that King is gaining a lot of momentum. And if he can mobilize this many people and get them to listen, it's probably dangerous. So whatever. Unfortunately, as we have seen throughout history, someone trying to do some good will be targeted by opposing forces. While uh, So white supremacists firebombed his family home that January. 
And uh, I didn't find if anyone was home or if anyone got hurt or anything, but they seemed unfazed by the intimidation and the Kings continued their work. On September 20th, 1958, Isola Ware Curry went to the Harlem department store where King was signing books. She asked, are you Martin Luther King? When he responded yes, she stabbed him in the chest with a knife. What the fuck? So he survived, and uh, this reinforced his dedication to nonviolence. Oh, so now the I don't know because okay, we see those videos where they're nonviolently protesting in front of a business, right? And all of a sudden, the police or the firefighters pull out those hoses, and they're getting attacked by dogs. I just I don't know to be able to hold in your anger. Yeah, man. I don't know. And he was stabbed like. You know what I mean? He could have yeah, punched. Yeah, I'm surprised the right didn't start. Right. So, and that's exactly what he was trying to avoid. And and I'm avoiding discussing the Black Panthers um, during this time because we're going to touch on that at a different time. I'm working on it, but um, that is the opposite of what Martin Luther King was doing. He was trying to do everything nonviolently everything with kindness, you know, meet hate with love. And then there's the Black Panthers who want the Black community to feel empowered, you know, power to the people. And hell no, we're going to meet them with the same energy. You know what I mean? So so there are opposing uh, forces working towards the same goal. However, you know, the white supremacists, I don't know what their goal is, to be honest. But anyways, um, the... SCLC, which I've mentioned before, um, they're founded already in the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and the nonviolent protests are organizing, uh, organized, committed to achieving full equality for African-Americans. And their motto was not one hair of one head of one person should be harmed. And King would remain at the helm of this influential organization until his death. In his role as the SCLC president, Martin Luther King Jr. traveled across the country and around the world, giving lectures on nonviolent protests and civil rights, as well as meeting with religious figures, activists, and political leaders. So he now has a spot on the world's main stage. And in 1960, the Kings moved to Atlanta, where King became a co-pastor to his father at the Ebenezer Baptist Church. In 1963, during the Birmingham campaign, the SCLC used boycotts, sit-ins, and marches to protest segregation, unfair hiring practices, among other injustices in one of America's most racially divided cities. On April 12th, King was arrested for his involvement in these protests. He wrote to civil rights He wrote a civil rights manifesto um, addressed to a group of white clergymen who criticized his methods, known as the Letter from Birmingham Jail. Together with other civil rights and religious groups, King organized the March on Washington for jobs and freedom. It was a peaceful political rally where African Americans would share about the injustices they had still faced. On On August 28, 1963, 200 to 300,000 gathered and bared witness to King's highly regarded and eloquent I Have a Dream speech before the Lincoln Memorial. He became the youngest man to ever receive a Nobel Peace Prize um, for that time. And uh, in the spring of 1965, King's elevated profile drew international attention to the violence that erupted between white segregation 
segregationists and peaceful demonstrators in Selma, Alabama, where the SCLC and Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee had organized a voter registration campaign. Captured on television, the brutal scene outraged many Americans and inspired supporters from across the country to gather in Alabama and take part in the Selma to, Selma to Montgomery March, led by King and supported by President Lyndon B. Johnson, who sent in federal troops to keep the peace. That August, Congress passed the Voting Rights Act, which guaranteed the right to vote, first awarded by the 15th Amendment to all African Americans. <clears throat> So I left some time at the end of this so that we can ask questions and discuss. Um, but on the second part, I'm going to go into more of what happened after that point, mm -hmm. <clears throat> as well as um, when they officially started listening in to his conversations and, you know, essentially spying on him, trying to create a smear campaign to belittle his, uh, his goal and his movement, et cetera. Right. Um, so at this point now, I'll just kind of see what we can tie up any loose ends or whatever. <sighs> it's a lot of history. It is a lot of history. It just blows my mind that, <clears throat> I don't know, like the whole thing just blows my mind. Whenever I read about the mm -hmm. civil rights movement, or anything like just like watching the help we've talked about it before right i think we have because i had rewatched it recently and maybe i brought it up during something i think we did because i remember mentioning how people were saying uh that what the hell is that girl named skeeter <laughs> yep oh yep that she's the <clears throat> white, savior white savior or whatever <clears throat> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah, we did talk about it. But um, it just blows my mind that, that that even was a I know, thing. Right? Like, I just can't. I know. It just and, blows my mind. And that it actually was pretty dangerous. Like, I mean, not only the, the least um, dangerous thing that would happen was the domestic person would lose their job, right? But more than that could happen if a lot of information got out from a certain household they could just have them lynched you know yeah. and no one would turn you know they'd turn a blind eye to something like that and that brings me to the movie that came out earlier last year till about Emmett till mm. and that whole crime I was gonna cover that too but it was just it was too sensitive at the time so maybe I'll save that for another time but yeah, dude, that when that really lady sensitive. came forward and said like oh he, he didn't do what I said you know what yeah. I said happened that's messed <clears throat> up that is so messed up it's that mob mentality where they just took it into their own hands yeah. and it was violent and mm -hmm. cruel so yep, some vigilante shit for no reason like no reason right I mean and that's where I can see how important Martin Luther King's method of nonviolence, where like you can't stoop down to that level because how much better are we? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, or I guess in that case too, when there was that pro propaganda of certain minorities are more dangerous or mm -hmm. whatever. So they mm -hmm. have to take that extra step to not be that. I don't remember what there was a lot of things. I think I've I've washed my brain with bleach 
as I grew up and started learning things. But I mean, like I said, it, it, that's why I try not to go so hard on people with like my woke and PC shit is because like, they, they don't know people that grew up in certain situations, they were taught by their grandparents or they didn't have parents exactly. or, you know, but it's, and it's, they it's don't like, want on. to relearn, like uh, reprogram their brain to mm-hmm. unlearn what they grew up knowing Mm, and learn something new like everybody hates Mm -hmm. fucking change and i get it but at the same time it's like do you really just want to continue being stuck in this same old fucking cycle like forever like really Mm -mm. why don't you want to learn new things why don't you want to like just like with okay i am definitely under the influence but (laughs) let's (laughs) rant yeah let's do it like doctors I was just listening to something earlier that um, there was a doctor on trial that um, Mm -hmm. he was saying one thing and uh, the defense was like, well, we found this book that you wrote like a couple years ago that it contradicts what you're saying right now. And his answer was... Yes, because information changes and like Mm -hmm. we, I've learned that something else is happening. Mm-hmm. Like it's not what I said it was right. like the, things are changing all the time, Does especially in the medical treatment. Field. So he was like, it doesn't matter what the fuck I wrote then. Like, this is the new information that I have now based on that the new information example. that has come to me. Like what? Absolutely. And that's where that accountability is very important. Is like, yes, I did used to think this way. I yes. did used to say those things. Yes. And now, and that's what growth is. And a lot of people just would rather not. And it's weird to me, but hey, whatever. It's your yeah, life. Yeah. And it's because change scares people. Like, I thought I fucking hated change, which I do, but I fucking force myself to go through it because I think the, I think it's about what I you. just said. Like, why right. do you want to be stuck in this same old, thing like yeah that's literally a definition of insanity so mm-hmm. um i feel you i get it um Learn new things embrace new ways to do things and, and include and include things. others yes. specifically the people who are in power like the presidents and all that shit that were signing all these bills into place they had the real power but once you put black people in those situations how safe were they actually you know what i mean yes mm-hmm. um so those nine students that tried to go to school, they they were probably scared. Like, and they were just going to school, not even to like war or. Uh, that's another thing well, that gets me then, mad. Like, they were fine with them going to war with everybody else. I think they were even segregated saying. then, weren't they? Um, I don't think so. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, now that I'm thinking well, about Forrest Gump. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Uh, if it was uh, historically accurate, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure at a certain what point they stopped. I think we were there for all of the major historic events. <laughs> You're so funny. Um, what was I going to say? When they drafted people, mm-hmm. man, that shit's sad. You know what I mean? Like you come to this country, you got to fight for this country, and then they don't give a fuck about you. You know what I mean? Yeah, but they'll glad you. Gladly throw you out there to right die for the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I didn't know this, but baseball teams were segregated. So I you might that. be right about military um, groups. If if they were segregated, they would go 
to the same battle but separately does that make sense i think they would stay separate like like sleep separately i'm not i'm not entirely sure i, I, I don't know too much about military like military history specifically yeah. i'm not but um i could so somebody I just out there I probably might knows. have heard that somewhere it's just crazy to me and then the whole thing about the uh, i didn't say it during my my spiel but the reason why they didn't have african-american pilots was because they didn't think they could operate such you know high so annoying equipment yeah i know but they could they could definitely operate a gun and like that's so fucking i know i know and it's like oh so you don't want to train them like how everyone is getting trained yeah like what the fuck it was just all part of excluding um and then also not giving them their flowers at the end of it like you helped us win this war or you helped us do this and they didn't get any kind of um credit yeah mm-hmm. but anyway um let me look back at my notes in case i left something out mm. oh um if y'all haven't seen one night in miami it was directed by Regina King. It's on Amazon Prime. That is a very good movie. <clears throat> uh, I don't know what she's from at the moment, but I know what you're talking about. She was in um, Cinderella Miss Story too, and Cinderella Story. Yeah, she was the what's her name? Oh, and she was in the Boondocks. She was the voice of the boys. I love that woman. I can't believe I can't think of more roles. But yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, so One Night in Miami discusses, or it shows Sam Cooke, Malcolm X, and Cassius Clay, aka Muhammad Ali, uh, sharing one night together where they all discuss that point in history and, you know, what they have to do with it and mm. what they what they care, like if they don't care, if they do care. And I thought it was a very good, like the dialogue between black men who come from completely different, like, um, not walks of life, but they have different career paths. Obviously, Malcolm X is an activist, right. and Sam Cooke is a musician. Cassius Clay, he's the he's a boxer. So it's just different. I don't know Our forms of. It has to do with like entertaining white people, and what do they give us? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That bothers me too. In like sports and entertainment, and in general, even now, like it's gotten better, but it's not completely gone. You are correct. Um, Speaking of segregated, this is like a very far off from what we're talking about, but um, it only correlates because my very first birthday party was in the segregated uh, schoolhouse that they had in Comstock. Like the Mexican kids went to that school. No and way. It was literally just a one room building, but uh, like the like the house, like the schoolhouse, and like you know back in the day, like in holes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. it was like that, but um, that was where my first birthday party was. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. The building got torn down after that because it was like starting to like get like dilapidated. But um, yeah, yeah, that was it. But that, like, it wasn't just the black people that were segregated. It was literally oh, like, no. anyone. That- oh, yeah. Oh, trust me. I have I have more coming. And I think, um, according to our analytics, we have, you know, quite a bit of Latino 
listeners. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Hispanic, but that term is also, you know, outdated. But anyway, word, word. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I definitely have more more stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'll name my sources. I used npr.org, um, nobelprize.org, history.com, and... For this part, yeah, that's all I pretty much used for this portion of our two-episode segment. <clears throat> I need to start um, adding the links to our episodes. Mm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the sources, you know? Yeah, that'd be good. Um, um, oh, so how do we feel about... All of his um, friends telling him to break up with his white girlfriend. Um, I feel like that's... I don't know what the word is, but... I don't know. That's pretty fucked up. Like, I mean... I can see why they told him that, but at the same time, it's like, well, shit. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I guess... I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it either. I mean, I know what the message would send i guess but i don't know yeah but they needed him to be um the face of this right move right so i can see why they did it but it's just yeah it's fucked up i don't know i wonder how she felt about her if she was like yeah i understand i'm i mean if she loved him she might not have been okay with it <laughs> right Damn, that's wild. Mm. So, all in all, Martin Luther King Jr. is an influential, historic, legendary person that we still discuss and celebrate today as we have a holiday every third Monday. Um, Oh yeah, Sunday is his birthday, so that makes sense, I guess, that they put his, his day every third Monday of the, of January. Um, so whether you're at work or you're not at work that day, just keep in mind that he deserves to have a day on the calendar. Um, for sure. Um, I'm not saying he's perfect. I don't, we don't know him as a, as a human being, but as a civil rights activist, he did a lot for the country. And next time we're going to discuss how it came off as dangerous to, um, Hoover, the FBI guy that we all know and love, and um, how he got others to listen to what he was saying. And I think it has to do with communism. So that'll be interesting. Uh, that is one thing I did not mention the whole time discussing this because racism and discrimination were the main points for the civil rights movement. But during the 50s and 60s, we have the Red Scare going on. We have you know, the Cold War about to start and Cuba and just everything was so threatening to the American dream and Mm -hmm. what we were trying to do over here. Um, So we just spread a lot of fear and hate towards certain groups. And so next time we're going to touch on something a little bit darker and more disturbing. Um, So yeah, everybody stay tuned for that. And um, 
very exciting announcement. Daniela has started a Gimme the Creeps Facebook group uh, over on Facebook. We already have some members that joined. If you have not already, please go over and do that. We would love to have you. Um, any other news? Um, I do want to say that I know that I said I would never do that, but I did it anyways because <laughs> we no longer have our TikTok. So I figured... There that it go. would be easier to do that, uh, to share, like, all our updates and stuff on there. And, of course, uh, we would also like to have y'all, like, send, like, recommendations of what you want us to talk about. Nice. Or st- any spooky stories that you have for us or memes. What I mean, whatever you want to share with us, that is Pictures what Pictures of ghosts. <laughs> pictures of ghosts pictures of ghosts videos of ghosts proof that aliens exist yes uh confidential classified documents no <laughs> um i need to navigate i need to learn how to navigate reddit more because i feel like i would find more deep deep you know mm-hmm. dark stuff on our political organizations if i look there but yep have not. Um, anyways, so we will catch you with part two on Friday. This episode is out today for Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, day. So um, I don't know. Hopefully I touched on enough of the important stuff. Next time there's definitely more civil rights movement uh, information I'm going to be providing along with everything else I said. So make sure you tune in on Friday. And next week we will have Daniela provide us with something creepy and spooky to get back to our our normal vibe so yeah that concludes that and uh, we appreciate all of your support hopefully you didn't fall asleep during the history part because it is very important and we could always brush up on our history thank you guys so much for joining us this week for our special two-part episodes so did you learn some history